Bibles, get out your phone, get out your tablets. Genesis chapter 38. In our title tonight, I don't always give the title up front, but some nights I do. Tonight I'm going to. It's called Unlikely Characters. Unlikely Characters. We're going to see some unlikely characters. Maybe even unsavory characters, I would say. This is sort of a messy story. You know, we've covered some other messy stories in Genesis so far, hadn't we? This might be the messiest. We'll see what you think at the end. Because I would make the case this one could possibly be, I don't know if you remember who Jerry Springer was. Remember those crazy Jerry Springer shows? This might be right up there with that one. You know, we might we not have watched it, but we saw the commercials. We saw the craziness just on the commercial. Um, but God's word is God's word. There's always something of value there that we can apply even by people's bad behavior. Because we can learn what not to do by other people's mistakes, can't we? And so we're going to see some of that tonight. We'll also see some good stuff, especially toward the very end. So Genesis chapter 38, verse 1. Here's what it says. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. Now, if you were here last Wednesday, this is the same Judah that came up with the really genius idea to sell Joseph for money. So Judah is the tribe of the line of Judah, by the way, so he does do better later. Right now, he's behaving more like Jacob, and you'll see what I mean. Let's keep reading verse 2. I want to read 2, 3, and 4, 5 maybe. Um, There Judah met a daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her, made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a different son, named him Onan. She gave birth, verse 5 says, to still another son and named him Shelah. But it's a guy, not a girl, just so we're clear, Shelah. It was at Kazib that she gave birth to him. Now, we've learned, if you've been here through our Genesis series, over and over, God told Abraham, told the people, don't marry these Canaanite women. What does Judah do? Marry a Canaanite woman. That'll be a problem. We'll see that. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, it says, Judah got a wife for Ur. That's his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. Apparently extremely wicked because if I finish this sentence, it says, so the Lord put him to death. Judah, he gets a Canaanite wife. What does he do for his son? Gets his son a Canaanite wife. And we're not really told, by the way, what his son does. But whatever it is, it's really bad. And as I was reading this, almost, you know, his name is Ur. I think you could add a few letters on that and make him error. He is an error. Because he's so wicked, God had to kill him. That's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. He took him off the the plate. We're not told what he did, though. All we are told, but we know God's character, don't we? God is just. He is fair. He doesn't punish people lightly. So whatever Er did, he deserved it, and he was killed for it. Where did he learn that from? I did wonder as I studied, and we don't really know. But his mom, Tamar, was a pagan Canaanite woman. Likely he he learned, in my mind anyway, some of this bad behavior that he was maybe even killed for from his mom. Um, I'm not trying to point fingers, but he learned something somewhere that got him killed. That's really all we know. But it brought up in my mind an interesting verse, and it's a little bit of a reach, but I'll let you read it with me on screen. It's a verse out of Luke. 
Luke 12. And, and it's a kind of a, a warning for us. Here's what it says. And this is Jesus, by the way, asking these questions. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? Now, this weekend, we talked about God's peace. But Jesus is saying, do you think I came to bring peace? We would probably, on, on first glance, say yes, but look what he says. No. I have come to divide people against each other. He's going to explain why. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against. Or two in favor and three against. Let me explain that for a second. Jesus didn't really cause division, but what he's really trying to tell us in that verse, even in your own families, there's going to be people that don't believe in me. And unfortunately, we all have those in our own families, don't we? We have people in our family. Sometimes it's our immediate family, our sons, our daughters, our parents. Sometimes it's distant family, cousins, uncles, extended family, nephews, nieces, grandparents, whoever. But Jesus is trying to tell us really strongly, don't let your family bond be stronger than the spiritual bond with me. In other words, follow me at all costs, even if it means your family denies you, disowns you, gets mad at you. Judah didn't do this. He kind of brought a, a pagan woman in the marriage, and he was unequally yoked. He believed in God, but doubtful that she did. And, and we'll see why as we keep reading. So why did I put that verse up? I think sometimes we can almost try too hard and get too almost obsessed about everybody in our family being saved. We can try. We can pray. Our best weapon, by the way, is to pray for them to be saved. Um, we can't always convince them is what I'm getting at. And, and we've tried sometimes till we're blue in the face to convince our relatives. Sometimes they just don't listen, do they? Because we didn't either. There was points in my life I didn't listen. I'm sure you're the same way. We've all kind of walked away from God, I would bet. But... We can't walk away because of anything our family, you know, dynamics. In other words, our Jesus dynamics outweigh our family dynamics. That's what the point Jesus is trying to make. Even if it becomes splitting even families apart. And that's hard to hear. But Jesus really tells us in other verses, you're going to come before me and you're going to stand solo. Not with your family, not with your friends. And God's going to ask us, what did you do with my son? Did you believe? Did you follow? doesn't matter what my family did. So if I'm going to stand in heaven alone and answer that question, I can't let my family's sort of non-belief distract me from my belief. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll get off my soapbox then. Let's move on. Verse 9. No, not, I didn't jump that far yet. How about we go back to 8? There we go. I heard an 8. Thank you. Help me out here. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty as, your, as her brother-in-law and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan, and that's the second son, by the way, he knew that the child would not be his. So Ur has been killed. Two sons are left, Onan and Shelah. And Judah's telling the second son, Onan, now it's your duty. Go sleep with your, your brother's wife, your dead brother's wife. And here's why. We don't quite get this as, you know, Americans, but in their culture, it was a requirement. It wasn't a law yet. It was a requirement that if a man died before his wife had a son, it was the duty, the obligation, the requirement 
for the next brother in line to go marry her and have children with her. But here's what's kind of interesting. When they would have a child, it wouldn't be the, the biological father's child in the, in the people's eyes. It would be the dead brother's child. That's who really he was doing it for. And he would be almost a surrogate father at best. And here's why. There was a good reason. The dead brother's name would be carried on in the family lineage. You know, for these people groups, it was all about the eldest son, the lineage. Well, if the eldest son is gone, there's no lineage and there's no son yet in this situation. So the second son has to be the surrogate father. But also it's for the widow's sake. Um, it kind of removes a widow off the church's kind of responsibility. Now the widow has a husband. She'll have a child, hopefully a son to carry on the name, but also a son to help support her in her old age. But at this time, it's a cultural requirement. Later in Deuteronomy, we're going to look at that verse. Later, God makes it a, a, a requirement of his. Right now, it's more like a cultural thing. Let's look at Deuteronomy. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, just like we just read, his widow must not marry outside the family. She wasn't allowed to. It was a, it was a requirement. Her husband's brother shall take her, marry her, fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law, which means have a son. And then it keeps reading. It says, the first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so his name won't be blotted out. It's about continuing the family lineage. And this is Deuteronomy, so it's a few chapters later, but it's a requirement of God. Either way, it's not going to go well in our story. So... Let's see what Onan does about that. He's the second son. If I keep reading the other half of nine, it says, So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, that would be Tamar, he spilled his seed on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. We kind of are told what he did. He was supposed to provide a son. I don't want to get too graphic, but we can... Hear what I just read. He didn't do it. So God killed him for it. Now Judah is down two sons. God, once again, doesn't tell us exactly all the reasons he killed Onan, but I, I kind of would make a case, at least in my mind, he wasn't a great guy, apparently, because here's why. He was willing to sleep with Tamar, have sex with her, but not willing to get her pregnant. He was just doing it for his own selfish gain. He also dishonored his family duty. It was a requirement. He dishonored that. And he really abandoned that whole side of the family in their time of need because they would eventually be in poverty and a widow and all that. So he really failed in about three areas. But God will judge him. God will. Ju he kind of did. He killed him. That's what it says. So if you're taking notes, our first main point, if you want to write these down, God is the judge, not us. I don't need to be judging anybody except my own self. God is my judge. God is your judge. We can't be judging our neighbors. God is God. He knows. He sees. i got to look in the mirror and judge that guy. We have to, in other words, our job, and my point here, is to make sure I'm not the one who needs judgment. Remember, there's verses about don't worry about that splinter in his eye. Get the plank out of yours. Look in the mirror is what that really says in modern English. Worry about judging yourself so God won't have to judge you. 
But God judged now two of Judah's sons. So he's getting a little nervous. And I think we'll see that. Because look what Judah tells her in verse 11. I'm going to read half of it. It says, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's. In other words, go back to your father. I've lost two sons. Go back to your dad's house until my son Shelah grows up. He was the third son. He was likely younger. We don't know exactly how young. But this was not common practice. That is not what should have happened. This is Judah's selfish plan, essentially. Because even the pagans, I told you it was cultural, the pagans would, would do this cultural kind of practice of, of the son having to fulfill the marriage requirement and produce a son. Nobody would send her back to her father's house, but Judah is doing that. But, and the reason would be, now she's going to be a widow, likely much longer than would be necessary. And really, I think we'll see in a few more verses, Judah doesn't really intend to follow through ever. He's not really going to give up the third son. He's not being truthful with his words. He, he's sort of, at best, stretching the truth, maybe outright lying, I don't know. But let's look at a verse out of James. It's a good reminder for all of us. In other words, be truthful, be clear. Look what it says. Above all, my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us, me included, don't, make, don't swear by heaven, don't make an oath, or by earth, or by anything else. Don't make promises you can't keep is another way to, to read that. All you need to say, yes, no. If you start adding a lot of elaboration and, and adding on to it, there's no point because look what it says if I keep reading, otherwise you'll be condemned. In other words, it's saying be truthful, keep your word, but keep your word simply. It's yes or no. Don't make a ton of excuses of why and why you can't and, and the reasons why you won't say yes or no. Judah's answer was pretty much evasive. Go be a widow until my son Sheila grows up. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. He kind of evaded the real issue. But the rest of verse 11, I'll read that part now. It really tells us what he's thinking. In verse 11b, he says, for he thought, that would be Judah, he may, Sheila, he may die too, just like his brother's. So he sent Tamar away because it says, so Tamar went to live in her father's household. In my mind, Judah's probably thinking, that woman's deadly. I do not want to send my only son over to her. She's already taken out my two oldest boys. But really, it's not Tamar's fault. She's kind of an innocent victim in this situation. He shouldn't have brought a Canaanite woman in the family anyway. She's sort of a victim, you know, it doesn't tell us once again what those first two sons did, the first one especially, it just says they were extremely wicked, so wicked God killed them. But really, I think he has no intention of following through on his word, like I said, he's being deceitful. So think, who's Judah's father? Who's Judah's dad? Jacob. What's Jacob's other name? The deceiver. Where did he learn it from? Watching his dad, he had a, a deceitful role model, and he's now, I think, put it into practice in his own life. Let's keep reading, verse 12. After a long time, doesn't say how long, but it's a long time. In other words, she's been at her dad's house. The daughter of Shua died. When Judah recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hiram the Adolamite went with him. So we're told in Scripture, many, many years have passed now. 
He's apparently never contacted Tamar. Remember, he promised, when Sheila's old enough, I'll provide him to you. He never did. And it's been a long time, is what our word says. So she's been a widow way longer than really was required. Judah's ignoring her, essentially. So what's Tamar going to do? She's going to fix it. She's going to fix it her way. Let's keep reading verse 13. Here's where it gets Springerish. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. She's covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila had now grown up, now she's wise to Judah's tricks, she had not been given to him as his wife. So once again, this is cultural. See, we don't understand because if you read this casually, you think, well, why couldn't she just marry somebody at her dad's village or why couldn't she get a different husband? Culturally, you couldn't. That wasn't allowable because in their culture, only the dead son's father could give you a husband. It had to be one of these other sons. If there was no sons, there was another workaround I don't want to get into, but he had a son. My point is, she's not free to marry just anybody of her choosing or even her dad's choosing. Even the pagans practice this, this practice of this cultural thing I keep calling. It was required to be her dead husband's brother requirement. So Judah is essentially withholding that husband from her. But let's talk about the cultural issue number two. We don't quite get this one. As I read that verse, I said she had a veil on. To us, that doesn't mean a lot. But in their culture, specific to them, and it would be pagans and Israelites both, because remember Judah, Judah and all of them are their Israelites, um, a veil over a woman's face that was sitting by the roadside, that's the other key piece. A veiled woman on the side of the road, to them, that's like a neon sign saying prostitution. Prostitution. So she has a plan, and she's putting it into action. And she really is going to take on the identity of a prostitute to catch one person. She's after one guy. Who do you think that is? Judah, exactly. She's putting out her net, but it's specific to him. He's going to fall right in it. I'll just ruin the story for you. Yes. You know the story. Come on now. I know you know this story. If not, you're about to. Um, Verse 15, look what happens. When Judah saw her, he just sees her, veil on, side of the road. What's he think? She's a prostitute. For she had covered her face. And not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside. And look what he says. Come now, let me sleep with you. That's his first words. He's, he knows what he's after. I'll just be leave it at that. Judah, Judah, Judah. Does it really matter that she's, you know, Scripture says he didn't realize it was his daughter-in-law. Does that really matter? Should you be sleeping with roadside prostitutes anyway? Come on, man. Well, here's what he's really thinking, and here's a good warning for us. He thinks nobody's going to know. This is me on the side of the road. Nobody's going to catch me. I'll just have a little fun, go about my business, and go shear some sheep. I'm on a little detour. Nobody's going to find out. We got news for Judah coming in some other verses. 
And it's a great reminder of a verse out of Ecclesiastes, by the way. Let's look at that one. This is strong words for us. God will bring every deed into judgment. It ties back to my earlier point. We don't have to judge each other. What does that say? God will bring every deed. Not most. Not the ones you're kind of doing openly. He means hidden roadside sins will fall under judgment, his judgment, for every, including every hidden thing. Whether it's good, and if it's good, we'll be judged in a positive way. But even small evil won't escape God's judgment. Judah is going to get judged for this. So look what she says. Back to our story. What's Tamar say when Judah propositions her, essentially? What will you give me to sleep with you? Because she's really, she's got a plan. She's a pretty smart lady. Look what he says in 17. I'll send you a young goat from my flock. That would probably be the going price, or maybe it was a bigger price. I don't really know. But she kind of changes his answer a little bit because he doesn't have a goat. Will you give me something as a pledge? In other words, a promise. I, I, need, some secu- I need a security deposit is what she's really asking for until you get that goat up here. He may not know who she is, but she definitely knows who he is because she's going to ask for something in the next couple of verses that she knows only he will have. And she also, by the way, remember if I go back a few verses, she's already realized Selah, the, the third son, has grown up. Sheila, excuse me, Sheila. Sheila is way past the age he should have been provided. So she doesn't trust Judah is what it really kind of says. So she's going to once again take it into her, her hands. So he's going to ask, what, what pledge? In other words, what do you want? What, what's my security deposit? What pledge should I give you? She's going to tell him your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. In other words, your symbols, your family symbols, she answered. So what's he do? Doesn't apparently think very long on it. He gave them to her. It says right in the next sentence. And then he slept with her. She became pregnant by him. That, in a way, might be a miracle. I mean, they just slept with each other once. But God, I heard that. It's all it takes. Great idea. Yes, young ladies, listen to that one. All it takes. One time. But he never imagined that would be the result. So look at verse 19. I'll finish the section. After she left, she took off her veil, put her widow's clothes. So she was trapping him. She wasn't going to be a roadside prostitute, but for one person, it was a strategic plan, and it worked apparently like a charm. Because also, we can kind of see in a way, in my mind anyway, some of Judah's character. There's no way he should have traded those things for sex. That was super valuable, symbols of his authority, his family status. It told everybody who he was. He apparently wasn't thinking very clearly. And I'll leave that one right there. Because I know some of your minds are thinking something else. Um, He traded his authority for sex is what it almost means. But that just shows us in a way how smart Satan is. Because really the enemy is the one tempting Judah here. Let's look at our second main point if you're taking notes. It'll be on the screen. Satan knows every one of our weaknesses. We all have different ones. It may not be sex. It may be money. It may be status. It may be prideful things. I want attention. It could be who knows what. It's some sort of false idol that's consuming our, our thinking. 
for Judah here, it appears sex was his weakness, so Satan put in the road, right, what would tempt him the most, a prostitute. Satan knows our individual weakness, and he will use that exact thing almost like a fisherman. He will put the bait in front of you that will likely get you to bite if you're not on, protected by the Holy Spirit. He will put the most tempting thing, and for all of us, once again, it's different, and it will make us, like Judah, if we're not careful, make a foolish decision that we will regret forever, but sometime those foolish decisions are almost hard to fix. They're hard to take back. It's like toothpaste. You can't get it back in the tube. Once it's out, it's out. You might apologize. You might make amends, but you never can get that toothpaste back where it was. Go home and try. You'll see. It's better not to squeeze the tube. Pregnancy, once again, is the last thing Judah was thinking. Maybe Tamar, too, because she probably thought it might take more than once. But I think God stepped in, and I'll explain that more in a second. Because back to Judah, he's likely thinking, once again, nobody's ever going to know. There's no way this will find out. And we kind of see Tamar, she doesn't want to just be um, a prostitute for, the, for, for nothing. She just had that one person in mind, and once she gets him, she puts her widow's clothes back on. Because in their society, she is a widow. Until she gets a, that son as her husband, she's a widow in their mind. Back to our story. Now Judah has to try to fix things. Because he, he, he thinks he can fix it. He's going to use his own wisdom, he thinks, to try to fix this. He, he thinks he's going to, there's no way I can lose in this situation. I would make a different case of that. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat, the one he was required to, to send, by his friend the Adullamite, in order to get his pledge back or those things, his cord, his staff, his seal. He needs them back because they're symbols of his family authority. But look what happened. This messenger can't find her. He did not find her. So the messenger in verse 21 says, he asked all the men in that area, where is that shrine prostitute? You know, that was a common practice that we've read about it before, other verses. The pagan temples had shrine prostitutes. Where's the one that was by the road at name? They're like, there's no prostitute down there. There's no such a thing. There has never been a shrine prostitute here is what they said. Uh-oh. Plans unraveling, Judah. You should have asked God about this one. So now what? He, the messenger's got to go back and explain he can't find her. Verse 22, it says, so he went back to Judah and he said, I, could, I didn't find her. Besides, the men that, I, that live there, I asked them, they said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute around here. So now Judah's probably panicking. So in 23, he gives an answer. Well, let her keep what she has, or we, really I, I will become a laughingstock. After all, I, I tried to send her the goat, but you didn't find her. In other words, I tried to do the right thing. After I did the wrong thing, is what I would add. But now... He's even got a bigger uh-oh, a bigger problem. He can't fix this with his money, his goat, his influence. He's in trouble because they can't even find the lady. There's no way to get back those things, essentially, because Tamar has them. But if you read those verses, where do you see he's sorry for his moral failure? Like where is, Oh my gosh, I never should have done that. I have so much regret. I should have not slept with a prostitute. 
All he cares about is public opinion. They're all going to laugh at me because he probably likely could have figured out if he really would have, hey, I did this. I was really dumb. You know, wasn't there a lady around here? Didn't you see anybody? Well, there wasn't a prostitute, but there was a widow walking by. You know, maybe she got it. He is so embarrassed, he can't confess anything. He thinks it's going to stay secret. Little does he know she's pregnant. So let's read 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's now pregnant. Remember our verse on judging each other? Look at Judah's answer. Kill her. Bring her out. Have her burned to death. Not just kill her. Torture and hurt her terribly and burn her to death, slowly. My next main point for us, and hopefully this doesn't apply to anybody, um, people that sometimes have a secret sin, they think it's secret, you know, a hidden sin, they can be sometimes the quickest people to point fingers. So hopefully, once again, that's not us. Because if you don't have secret sin, you don't have to point at other people. to get the, You want to deflect the blame. That's kind of what Judah is doing here. In other words, bring her out, burn her, because he's probably by this time being condemned and convicted by the Lord. So what is his answer? Uh-oh. If I kill her, it'll deflect everybody's attention. She clearly was in sin because she's pregnant. Little does he know, he's the father. Verse 25. But remember I said Tamar's a very smart lady. Verse 25, it says, As she was being brought out to be burned to death, she sent a message to her father-in-law directly. I am pregnant by the man that now owns these. It doesn't tell us how, but somehow she signified those things of his she has. She said, and she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. So maybe it was a messenger with many people. She couldn't have given them him, or he would have probably taken them. But she clearly let him see the things. So she's not going to accuse him directly in front of all the elders, but that probably cut him like a knife to see those things, wouldn't you think? That's God convicting Judah. She's really calling him out without having to call him out, is how I would put it. So since Judah would not do the right thing, God intervened and did what really was required, produce a son. Now, God did not cause that sin. Let me be real clear on this one. So, don't, so we don't kind of read too much into that. God didn't cause Judah to sin. That was Judah's choice. He misbehaved. That's all on him. But, you know, God, and we'll see what I mean with the very end of our teaching, God has an ultimate plan that's going to come to fruition. And if Judah won't do the right thing by producing a son through his, his I mean, a, a grandson by his son, he's going to use that sinful act for his glory. You know, God can use sin for his glory, it's not his first choice, but Judah misbehaved. Judah did the wrong thing. God's going to use that to get the end result that, that he, he kind of desires, I'll say. You'll see what I mean toward the end. Because now there is a son. That was the goal. We need a son for this lineage, and you'll see why when I get to the end of the teaching. Even poor Judah is convicted when he sees those belongings, by the way. Let's read verse 26. Here's what it says. Judah recognized them, and look what he says. Interesting. She, this prostitute that's pregnant in his mind, is more righteous than I am. More, a, a pagan prostitute is more righteous than me since I wouldn't give her my son. So now he's even owning he wouldn't give the son the right way. 
and he did not sleep with her again. Well, I don't think she would have let him, by the way, because she took her veil off and put back on her widow's clothes anyway. Maybe he was thinking about it. I don't know why that verse is in there. Um, either way, it's not going to happen. But he's convicted by God that she is more righteous than you are. And that's by his own words, his own admission. And brings up our last main point if you're taking notes. And don't discount this one, by the way. God can use anyone to speak words of correction into me and you. Even an unbeliever, even, in this case, a pagan woman. Because here's why I add that. If we're not careful, we might only want to listen to our Christian friends. You know what I mean? Because we want to hear a spiritual opinion. But sometimes we don't listen. Let's be honest. God will bring other people to echo those same words or maybe be the first one. Who knows? Like in this situation. Just because they're an unbeliever doesn't mean God can't use them to convict us if we are in the wrong, like Judah is here. So be careful just discounting everybody because, oh, they don't believe. I'm not listening to anything they say. Maybe they're a close friend. Maybe there's those, maybe we talked when I prayed earlier. Maybe we have family that's not even saved. Maybe they might give us words of advice. If it lines up with Scripture, it lines up with Scripture, whether they believe or not. This is the true standard, no matter whose mouth it's coming out of. If they're correcting me with God's principles and God's word, even they don't know it, God can use them. In the Bible, he used a mule to talk. He can clearly use anybody even an unbeliever. So be open to correction if they have a valid concern that would apply to me if I'm misbehaving and, and you are. Hopefully we're not in that situation. God won't need to because if we're truly obedient and following his commands, he won't need to correct me with an unbeliever. There's an easy way not to be in that situation. Just obey. Obey the Lord. Back to our story, verse 27. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And there's lots of twins in the Bible, isn't there? And there's always a little wrinkle in these twin births, you know. Here's another one coming. Um, it's not a huge point, but it's just a little interesting. As she was giving birth, verse 28, one of them put out his hand. So his hand came out first. The midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and saying, this one came out first. Now, once again, this is cultural because for us, that wouldn't make any difference. Who cares whose hand came out? Think of it, though, firstborn, inheritance. That first hand means you inherit everything, essentially, so they want to mark him with this scarlet cord. Seems strange to us, but it was all about lineage and inheritance, kind of the, the theme in our story in a lot of ways. But look what happens next. When verse 29 says, when he drew back his hand, his brother came out first. And then the midwife says, oh, this is how you have broken out. And so they named him Perez. And the word Perez means you broke out. So the first hand came out, withdrew, different brother came out. But here's the real point. God will take this sort of ungodly situation of roadside prostitution, Judah behaving terribly, not following through on his duties, He's going to use it for his plan, his glory, his purposes. And we don't know, and we would be speculating, me included, but, you know, it makes me wonder, 
if he'd have given up Sheila, that third son, God wanted this lineage to continue. You'll see that crystal clear in another few minutes. He wouldn't do it. So God says, okay, God being God knows everything Judah's going to do, knows everything I'm going to do, everything you're going to do. He's going to work a different channel to get the same end result. The end result he wants is a lineage, and you'll see that in a second, for his glory. Last verse, verse 30. Then his brother, who had the scarlet, the one with the scarlet thread, came out. He was named Zerah. Zerah just means scarlet or brightness in some translations. Doesn't really matter. But let's get to the point I was trying to make and hinting at the whole time. We're going to look at a couple of verses out of Matthew. This is another lineage that's super important to you and I tonight. And I picked a few verses, so we're going to jump around a little bit. And it's a long lineage. You can read it yourselves later. But I just highlighted a couple of key sections for us. Look what verse 3, Matthew 1, verse 3, look what it says. Judah, our guy in the story that's messing up terribly, was the father of Perez and Zerah, who we just read about, whose mother was who? Tamar, Tamar, however you want to pronounce it. I've heard it both. doesn't matter. We see who she is. More on her in a second. Jump down to verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz. We know that story. Look in parentheses. Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We know that story too. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of a famous Bible hero, King David. Verse 6. But here's the real important ones. Jump down further. Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to who? Jesus, who is called our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. So now look at these names. Leave those up on the screen for a second. You've got in the lineage of Jesus mentioned by name a pagan prostitute named Tamar. Rahab was also a prostitute. Ruth was known as a Moabitess, in other words, a foreigner. So you've got three foreigners. They're not Jewish. They're not Israelites. Mentioned by name in the lineage of our Savior. What does that tell us? There's hope for us all. God can use anybody. He used this crazy Jerry Springer mistake in the lineage of Jesus and even mentioned those ladies' names. That should give us really all a great hope. No matter what mistake we've made or how bad we've messed up, God will forgive us if we follow him. Now, we're not told if Tamar ever did. You know, Rahab, we do know her story. She eventually kind of tells them about the spies. She protects them. Um, Ruth is a good lady in our scriptures. But they, they kind of all had a bad history, at least two of them for sure. They were all foreigners. God used them mightily in Jesus' lineage. It was all about the Savior. Which is why I said, you know, God didn't cause Judah to sin like that on the side of the road. But since he wouldn't do it the right way, God says, okay, you won't behave right. I'm going to get her pregnant anyway. Since you're willing to do that, he knew his weakness and he used that to get to Jesus. So no matter what I've done, what you've done, we can't keep sinning. Let me be clear on that one too. But don't let your past beat you up. There's messy stuff in the Bible and messy stuff in Jesus' own lineage in Matthew. You can read the whole lineage, by the way. I'll just kind of highlight a few verses. 
But God doesn't care as much about what I did. He's really forgiven me if I believe in Jesus and he's my Savior. And I've made the case in here other nights that it's like if, if Jesus is my Lord, it's like I didn't even sin. It's gone. But there is a, a strong challenge all through Scripture to quit sinning. You're not going to be sinless, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, say no to sin. Don't be like that. Don't be what you were. But maybe somebody's watching tonight, and we're going to pray to close. Don't let your past condemn you. Don't believe when people like, could be your friends, your enemies, even Satan whispers, you're never going to amount to anything. That's probably what they were told in that list. They're in the Bible as the lineage of Jesus. So once again, there's hope for us all, isn't there? That ought to encourage us. So the end of the messy story. We're just going to pray. And by the way, if you've never accepted Jesus, maybe you're here tonight for the first time, first time you've heard even a crazy story like this at church. By the way, many churches kind of dance around this chapter. But here at Calvary, we teach the whole book, you know, in other words, if you're just bouncing around, you're not likely to pick chapter 38 to bounce to. But we're doing all of Genesis, aren't we? God's word is complete. And like I said when we started, we can learn things from others' mistakes, what not to do. And we also learn, I think in this story especially, God's will can't be blocked even by our misbehavior. His will is for Jesus to be our Messiah. He'll make it happen Either a straight way or a roundabout way. Either way, the end result is Jesus. But once again, if you don't know Jesus, come see me. We'll pray. We'll talk about it. For the rest of us, I'm just going to pray that we just ask God, give us the Holy Spirit, help us sin less in our own daily lives. That's always a good prayer, isn't it? So let's just pray that. Lord, tonight, thank you for this messy story that we can learn in some ways what not to do. But also, Lord, we also learned that your will is always done. And the end result is you sent your son to die for us. He paid for our sins like they've never happened. And, Lord, um, let's pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would help us be more like Jesus. We all make mistakes. As we mature and, and our faith grows, Lord, help us to make less mistakes. Help us to look more like Jesus each and every day. And give us the power of your Holy Spirit to help us walk that out. We love you. We praise you. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. amen. See you this weekend. And if you need to talk about Jesus, come find me.